Well, look up there. Surprise! Now I want to know if I'm talking to real people. How many of you have ever been criticized? Anybody in here never been criticized? I want to meet you. Anybody? I'm, this is the first time I've seen that graphic. I feel like I'm being told off right now. <laughs> Laura found that. Say hi, Laura. Raise your hand. All right. That's good. How to handle criticism and keep on smiling. Now, why would I share this? Well, I'm going to show you. Let's take a look at this and Proverbs 9, 7 to 9. Notice what it says. Let's stand up together and read the word and then we will, uh, you can be seated, but I alone will stand the rest of the time. Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to try what some of these preachers are doing on TV. I mean, they're sitting in a rocking chair, just kind of reading their Bible in blue jeans and tennis shoes. And I think, well, if they can do a rocking chair, I can do a lazy boy and just kind of kick back and everybody turn with me. They got people out there drinking coffee. All the lights are off. I don't know how they see their Bibles. I want you to be able to see your Bible. Huh? Yeah. So anyway, let's look at what it says here about criticism. Anybody who rebukes a mocker will get an insult in return. Anyone who corrects the wicked will get hurt. So don't even bother correcting mockers. They will only hate you. Anyone who corrects the wicked will get hurt. Well, that's a repeat. Now, but correct the wise and they will love you. Instruct the wise and they will be even wiser. Teach the righteous and they'll learn even more. Good stuff there. Father, thank you for your word on wisely dealing with criticism. Help us to be wise and not like the mocker, not like the fool, but that we can grow. And we thank you, Lord, for giving us wisdom that we will not be shot down by the flames of criticism. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn to your neighbor and say, you don't look so good tonight. I'm just warming you up for criticism. I'm kidding. All right. Now, these passages focus on two kinds of people, and I want you to notice them because I see them all the time in our culture now. Those who cannot be corrected. Hey, do you know anybody like that? Don't look at your spouse. Look up at me. Those who cannot be corrected. Who gain nothing from constructive criticism. And those who receive it and grow from it. That's the two different kinds. Those who receive nothing and never receive criticism of any kind. And those who receive it and grow from it. One is called a mocker and the other is called wise. Now we live in a day and a time when the ability to receive criticism and grow from it is fast fading away. I don't know if you've noticed that, but I am keenly aware of it. The current culture of political correctness has turned everybody into a victim rather than a learner. Criticize somebody and you have abused them or offended them. Seems like the whole culture is offended. Now, unfortunately, PC, political correctness, which I officially hate because of what it's doing to us. Amen. 
PC is creating a generation of crybabies who never learn from mistakes and can't handle adversity. I quit watching the news a long time ago. Well, how do you get your news? I go on the web and I look at some conservative news sites that I have in my little um, favorite um, log. That's where I go. I do not, cannot watch television news. You know why? Because they're all a bunch of crybabies. Yelling at each other, screaming at each other. They have become their own cartoon. And everybody's offended. I mean, all you see is people on there whining, blabbing, crying, playing their violin, how somebody offended them. It's like you want to say, please, grow up. All right, this is unfortunate because anybody who really accomplishes anything in life will sooner or later be criticized. Okay, and even worse, many people never decide to really make a mark from fear of being criticized. They never take a step of faith or rise above the crowd and take a stand for fear of being shot at. So they don't do anything for fear of being criticized or for fear of failure. But if you're going to do anything in life, you have got to risk failure and you have got to risk criticism. You've got to. Or you will never be anything but plain vanilla, sitting out there, never accomplishing a thing. But the wise person will not live in continual fear of criticism. He will learn how to handle criticism, and the wise person will grow from criticism. It's just a fact. Now, there's two kinds of criticism in the world. The just criticism, just criticism, and unjust criticism. And everybody in this room is going to be subject to both. From time to time in life. Just criticism and unjust criticism. Now just criticism should be met with a thankful heart. Did you know that? If somebody criticizes you and there's some truth in it, you need to be thankful for it. Don't play a violin. Don't whine. Don't say you're being attacked. Be a big boy. Be a big girl. And take it and learn from it. Now the refusal to respond to just criticism is to posture yourself for a fall. You know, I've noticed that before a fall, God will send you a hundred little warning flags. And sometimes they come in the form of criticisms that have some truth. Now, Proverbs ten seventeen says, people who accept discipline are on the pathway to life. But those who ignore correction will do what, everyone? They'll go astray. If you ignore correction, you will go astray. Because that correction comes to save you, to stop you, to change you. Now, the Bible teaches that God will place a blessing on the head of the person who responds positively to constructive criticism. Now, we're talking about constructive, not destructive, that tears you down, ruins your self-image, destroys you as a person. That's something very different. But this is constructive criticism coming from somebody who cares. Okay, it can be a boss, it can be a spouse, it can be a child, it can be a teacher. I mean, I, it can be a pastor up here. I, I preach things that I know convict you sometimes, but they convicted me before they ever convicted you. Because I had to study it. Amen? Look at Proverbs thirteen eighteen. If you ignore criticism, you will end in poverty and disgrace. Anybody in here want to end in poverty? What about disgrace? So can we glean from this that criticism comes to, to change us and rearrange us and help us 
so that we go down a, a, a constructive path? You will be honored. If you accept correction, you will be honored. Now, one man observed, the trouble with most of us is that we would rather be ruined by praise than saved with criticism. That's a great statement. How many of you love that praise? Oh, lay it on me. Come on. But you know what? Sometimes people are praising you. They'll flatter you to get something from you. But a true friend will tell you the truth about you in love to save you. So uh, when criticism is just, when it's got a point, the best response is to acknowledge it and take whatever steps necessary to correct it. People appreciate an honest person who can admit a mistake. I want you all to remember that. I watch leadership in our day, political leadership, spiritual leadership, that will not admit to wrong. They think if they admit to wrong, they're going to lose face with those that are looking to them. But the opposite is really what happens. If you admit to wrong, if you admit to having a fault, the peoples, your friends, those around you, their opinion of you will rise because you're able to admit, you know what, you're right, and I need to change. Now, unjust criticism, something very different now, unjust criticism is common, and it will come to all of us, guaranteed at one time or another, unjust criticism. For instance, if you're in leadership of any kind, get ready for it. There's a bullseye on your chest. Matter of fact, Kathy and I used to send out a card that was our favorite card. We would send it to leaders. Two deer are standing there talking. And they're in the woods, and they're, they're talking. They're standing on hind legs, and they're talking to each other. And one of them's got a big bullseye on his chest. The other one is looking at him, and he says, Bummer of a birthmark, Hal. <laughs> now, here's the deal. If you're a leader, you got that right on you. If you're leading anything, you've got a bullseye on you. And you're going to get criticized. And guess what? Some of it's going to be unjust. Go ahead and get ready for it. Some of it's going to be unjust, unfounded, unsubstantiated, unfair, all of the above. It's going to come. Doesn't make it right. It's just going to come. It's part of the package. John 15, 20, Jesus said, Remember that I told you a servant's not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they'll persecute you. Now let me just let me just extrapolate that a little bit. If they criticize me, they'll criticize you. If they took unfair pot shots at me, they'll take unfair pot shots at you. If they kept my word and obeyed my teachings, they will also keep and obey yours. And some of the unjust criticism is going to come to you from within the church. I call them sheep bites. You say, well, I thought in the church everything was supposed to be sanctified and glorified and holified and safe and protected and insulated. Oh, what church have you been in? I want to go to that church. Because you're going to get unjustly criticized sometimes, even in church, even among believers who might mean well and who might not mean well. Okay? He who stands up for Jesus will catch criticism that is unjust. And he who arises to take the lead in anything had better learn the art of developing a thick skin while keeping a soft heart. If you're going to be in leadership of any kind, you better have rhino skin. But don't lose your soft heart. You lose your soft heart, you get cynical and jaded and hard-hearted, and you lose your ability to lead. Leadership is the fine art of developing rhino skin 
but keeping a soft heart. One commentator wrote, sticks and stones are thrown only at fruit-bearing trees. That's true. And here's the fact, I guarantee you, the Indian in the lead is struck by the most arrows. You take the arrows for all the people behind you, and they're glad to let you take them sometimes. Now, we're going to look a little bit at some passages out of Psalms 35, and I want to encourage you to read Psalms 35 when you go home. Look at it, because in Psalms 35, David is identifying several different kinds of critics. And i got to tell you, folks, as I was going through these and looking them up in the Hebrew and seeing what he was really talking about, these were vicious people. These critics, it kind of goes from bad to worse, and some of them wanted him completely ruined. Critics. Critics. Now, let's look at some of the kinds that he identifies. First, those who contend with us. Can you say the word contend? Contend with us. Look what he says in verse 1. Contend, O Lord, with those who contend with me. What a great prayer. Lord, you see what they're doing against me? You deal with them as they're dealing with me. He who rolls a stone, it'll go back on his own head. He who digs a pit to catch somebody else will fall into that hole himself. It's a fact. But David said, Lord, I want you to be the one who stands up for me. You fight my battles. Now look at the word contend. These critics are contentious. That's what the word means, contentious. And they frequently engage in, this is what the contentious do. They engage in and seemingly enjoy arguments and disputes. Anybody know any of those? Aren't they fun to be around? Always want to pick an argument, always want to pick a fight, always want to be in a dispute. Anybody know any of those? Come on, let me see. You got some of those at work? You got some of those at home? Don't raise your hand. No, no. Boy, some hands went up real fast. But the contentious, they're not happy unless they're in a fight. They just got to be in an argument about something. Well, David said that's one kind of critic that I've been dealing with. Those who fight against us is the second kind. Contentious is one thing. Fighting is another. He says, fight against those who fight against me. Contend with those who are contending with me. Fight against those who are fighting against me. Unfortunately, church, there are people who will fight against you. And let me tell you why it happens sometimes. Sometimes that happens because they're jealous. If God blesses you real good, like Joseph who got the coat of many colors, when he put on that coat of many colors, he put on trouble. That coat was a sign of the Father's favor. That coat of many colors was a sign of, you know, there were many brothers, but only Joseph got the coat of many colors. And it says his brothers hated his guts because of the Father's favor. And there are people, when God graces you, blesses you, you get saved. I mean, you can even just get saved around some people who are still lost. They see the peace. They see that you don't need the smoking, drinking, chewing, snorting, shooting. You don't need all that stuff anymore, and your life changes. There are people who get jealous. As a matter of fact, when you get blessed real good, you can know that the green-eyed monster is peering out of a bush somewhere at your life. And they'll start fighting against you. They fight against you because they resent it. Now, that's one reason. Not every reason, but it's one of them. 
Fight comes from a word meaning make war. David is speaking of those who continually want to draw him into a battle. And boy, this is life. Because there are people that are this way. And you just have to say, you know what? I don't want to fight. And I'm not going to fight. And I'm not going to step into the ring. I have peace. God's blessing me. I have no issue with you. If you're going to fight, fight with yourself. Then David said, there are those who plot our hurt. Now here's where it starts to get nasty. This is a kind of critic who plotting his hurt. Look at verse 4. May those who seek my life be disgraced and put to shame. May those who, read it with me everybody, plot my ruin be turned back in dismay. We live in a very, very nasty world. In my uh, devotional this morning, I was on 2 Timothy 3, talking about the characteristics of people in the last days. Paul says in 2 Timothy 3, verse 1, he says, In the last days, there's going to be terrible times. And then when you read the attributes, the characteristics of people in the last days, the way they are, lovers of pleasure, heady, high-minded, fierce, disobedient to parents, Lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, and on and on and on. And he goes down this list, malicious. He names all these characteristics of people's personalities in the last days. And you realize it's those characteristics that are what make the last days terrible. The way people are. He said there's going to be such a, a, a downgrade, such a drop in the character of people in the last days that it's going to make those times terrible. Now, one of the things that he describes is those that are fierce. These that are fierce. And and, and it's a word that is talking about people who would devour you alive if they could. Who would devour you alive if they had the opportunity. It says in 1 Peter that the enemy walks around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour or eat alive. But see, those people, since they walk with that one, that devil, they become like him. And people that are fierce, ferocious in the last days are people that if they could get at you, if they could, they would eat you alive. They would devour you. They would ruin you. And here David is identifying people that are in his orbit who are literally plotting his ruin. Now that'll give you a warm fuzzy, won't it? No one waking up and realizing that there's somebody or a number of people who would plot your ruin. Now, either this is the ranting and the raving of a true paranoid, delusion person, or this is somebody who's in real life. We know David was in real life. Plot comes from a Hebrew word meaning to calculate, to devise. It refers to those critics who give time and energy to scheming of a way to bring us harm. They're looking for a way. And we may think, well, that that sounds pretty extreme, but I know people who at their jobs, in corporations, where there's a lot of competition, there's people just like this in their life. They're plotting to bring them down so they can get their job. And let me ask you a million-dollar question. Do you see people like this right here in the political arena right now? Fierce, ferocious, will destroy you, will plot and scheme to find a way to bring you down, to harm you, 
to destroy you. David dealt with these kinds of critics and enemies. They were in his life. And it may just be that one day you get blessed with one of them. And what are you going to do? We're going to talk about that in a minute. But powerful stuff. Then he says, then there's not only those who are plotting my ruin, that kind of critic, but now those who plunder us. Those who plunder us. Look at the verse here. Verse 10. All my bones shall say, Lord, who is like you? Delivering the poor from him who is too strong for him. Yes, the poor and the needy from him who does what everyone plunders him. That's verse 10. There are critics and there are enemies in our life who seek to plot our hurt and who plunder us. Now, what does plunder mean? It means to rob, to seize or snatch away. They want what you've got and given the opportunity, they will take it. That's the kind of world we live in, folks. This is the kind of world that uh, we need to learn to shine in. But it's also the kind of critic and the kind of enemy we need to learn to deal with. What do you do when you've got somebody in your life plotting your hurt? They're looking for ways to hurt you, to damage you, to hurt your reputation, to take something away from you, to rob you, to plunder you. You know, the Bible's full of events like this. And let me tell you something about this. You've got to be real, real careful how you handle and how you treat people. Because it's got a funny way of coming back on you. And when somebody does these kind of things to me, and I've had, there's not one of these I have read about to you and been talking about, I haven't experienced in spades. I've had people try to ruin me. And I've had people try to plunder me. And who have plundered me. Absolutely did. Now, here's the deal. You have to know that when this happens to you, if it does, God sees it. And that's very, very serious. Because if you're a woman of God or a man of God, a child of God, and somebody does this to you, they do it to him. And we've got to learn, boy, we've got to learn, folks, to let go and let God handle it. You've got to let go and let God handle it. Because David had these kind of people. Now, I was reading a while back in the little book of Obadiah. Anybody read Obadiah lately? Probably not. Well, there's one. It's, it's one little old chapter, but boy, it's power-packed, and it's all about the Edomites. And the Edomites were the descendants of Esau. Now, watch this. They are the descendants of Esau. The Edomites, all through their history, were the enemies of God. At one point in Israel's history, God began to judge his people Israel. And he turned them over to captivity. And as they were being led away to captivity under the chastening, loving, chastening hand of God, the Edomites, who were geographically close to where this was happening, saw some of the children of Israel trying to escape and turned them over to their captors. And then as they were being taken away into captivity into a very tough time and they were under the severe chastening of God the Edomites swept in and stole their stuff well what did God think about that well let's see what he thought about it verse 12 and 13 in Obadiah God says to the Edomites you should not have gloated when they exiled your relatives to distant lands 
You should not have rejoiced when the people of Judah suffered such misfortune. Whoa, so here's the Edomites. Now they're family, they're kin, and they're watching their kinfolk get taken away into captivity. And what are they doing? Instead of crying for them, praying for them, they're gloating over it. And they didn't stop there. You should not have spoken arrogantly in that terrible time of trouble. And look at verse 13. Read it with me. You should not have plundered the land of Israel when they were suffering such calamity. See, what they thought was this. Man, they are in such trouble with God, we're going to whoop up on them. Because God's whooping up on them too. But God says, no, no, no. You let me deal with my own people, but this is none of your business. And you better treat them the way that I would treat them. You better treat them good and treat them with love. And don't you gloat over them. And you better not touch their stuff. Even when they're under chastening. But they did. And they plundered their goods. Well, you know what happened? He says, you should not have gloated over their destruction when they were suffering such calamity. You should not have seized their wealth when they were suffering such calamity. All right, well, what happened to them? God says to them in the book of Obadiah, I'm going to wipe you out. And you're never going to be remembered again. You as a people are going to cease to exist. Now, let me ask you a question. Can you show me an Edomite today? You know why you can't show me an Edomite? There ain't none. You know why? Because they plundered God's people when they were down. That little psalm or or proverb says, He who rolls a stone, it will return back upon him. You remember Roadrunner cartoons? Y'all remember those? Every time I read that verse, I remember this one Roadrunner cartoon. You know, he's always running around. You know, leaving in a, in, a, in a cloud of dust. And who was always after him? Wiley Coyote. And what happened when Wiley Coyote, one time Wiley Coyote is at the top of a cliff and he sees Roadrunner coming his way. So he's got a great big boulder and he's got it timed. When Roadrunner gets right about there, I'm rolling this thing down and I'm squashing him finally. So here comes Roadrunner. Meh, 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 meh. He's running. And he throws that boulder down. It barely misses Roadrunner. Goes up the other side. Comes back down. Comes back up. Goes into the air. And comes right down on Wiley Coyote. Squashing him. There you have a picture of those who try to do harm to the people of God. That's it. <laughs> So when somebody rolls a stone to squash me, I always say, oh, Lord, this is going to be nasty. This is going to be nasty because it's not going to squash me as long as I'm right with God. If I'm right with God and I'm in his will and I'm doing what he's told me to do and somebody rolls a stone to get me, I say, this is going to be bad. And invariably, I watch it happen. Y'all are quiet. I know what you're thinking. Have I rolled any stones on anybody lately? (laughs) Some of you are doing this right here. All right. Then he described a group of critics called fierce witnesses. Verse 11, fierce witnesses come forward. They question me on things I know nothing about. 
Fierce is from a Hebrew word meaning false and cruel. So he's talking about false witnesses who come and accuse him of things that he doesn't even know anything about. Fierce, false witnesses. This is what they did with Jesus. This psalm is very messianic because this is what they did with the Lord Jesus Christ. They accused him of things he knew nothing about. Okay? Slander. Malicious gossip. This is the fierce witness, the false witness. They spread slander, malicious gossip, and other reputation-ruining words. Stones that they roll down to squash and destroy another. David was being accused of things he didn't know anything about. He said, I don't even know what you're talking about. And here you are accusing me. That kind of critic. Then there were attackers in verse 15. But when I stumbled, they gathered in glee. That sounds like the Edomites, doesn't it? Attackers, he says, gathered against me when I was unaware. I didn't even know that enemies were surrounding me. They slandered me without ceasing. Anybody in here ever been subjected to slander? Real slander. Slander sent to destroy your reputation. I have. I have to destroy me. And I had to sit back and say, okay, Lord, they rolled the stone. I'm trusting you to bring it back on them. But it is a bad, bad, bad feeling. Terrible, helpless feeling to be slandered. Now, then he names those who are wrongfully my enemies. There's no reason for them to be my enemies. Verse 19, let not those gloat over me who are my enemies without cause. There's no reason for them to be my enemies. Let not those who hate me without reason maliciously uh, wink the eye. Don't let them get away with it. How many of you ever had somebody not like you and you never could figure out why? Can I tell you sometimes it's because of your faith. Now I don't think Christians ought to go out and be obnoxious or difficult. If you love the Lord and you're walking with him and somebody doesn't like you for that reason... That's why. And you need to learn to take it. Now, none of these kinds of critics and enemies feel good. They sting. They hurt. They crush. All these different kinds of critics that David has named. Uh, They discourage us, don't they? It's discouraging to listen to that kind of thing. But the Bible teaches that this fiery trial of unjust criticism is a friend in disguise. Can everybody say with me, a friend in disguise? So, Pastor, I don't believe that. I do not believe that can be a friend in disguise. Let me show you how. First, God humbles us when this happens and causes us to examine what might be amiss. That's the one way, one way that this is a friend in disguise. Are you being criticized? Somebody's shooting at you? Somebody plotting against you? Somebody really trying to damage you? Somebody not like you and you don't know why? You got enemies everywhere and what are they saying? Well, When that happens, there's almost no greater incentive to examine yourself spiritually than then. One person wrote, what people say about us is never quite true, but it's never quite false either. They always miss the bullseye, but they rarely fail to hit the target. You married folk know exactly what that means. Because Kathy, she can tell me something. Nobody can hurt me like Kathy, and nobody can bless me like Kathy. 
And all of you that are married are exactly the same way because nobody's closer than your spouse. But watch this. When Kathy, and she criticized me about once every five years, <laughs> she'll say something. But, you know, the first reaction when you're married is to get defensive and say that's not true. But when somebody is, you're married to, they love you, it may not be fully true, but there's usually a little bit of something, and that's why it makes you mad. Because there's a little bit of something about it that you know is true. Well, what the Bible tell us early on is that if you listen to that and you change, you spare yourself a lot of pain. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty eight says, But let a man examine himself spiritually. Your character, your personality, let a man examine himself. Nothing causes us to examine our ways like a good critic. Now, second, false criticism brings us to our knees with an intensity we rarely know in normal life. False criticism. Because we know that it's false, and we're going, what am I going to do? And there's this overwhelming feeling you're being criticized or accused or slandered or gossiped about, and it's not true, and there's nothing you can do. If God doesn't fight for you, there's nothing you can do. But you can do something. It takes you to your knees. David prayed, Lord, lead me in a right path because of my observers, my enemies. Lead me in a right path. Why was he saying, why was he wanting to get right in there down that narrow road that leads to life with nothing left undone because of his enemies? So it got him closer to God. Those enemies will. They'll get you closer to God. Third, God uses the accusations of the wicked as a preventive medicine to keep us from the very thing they charge us of. Somebody accuses you of something, last thing you're going to do is what they're accusing you of. Look at this. David prayed, Lord, consider my enemies, for they are many, and they hate me with cruel hatred. And then he prays, oh, keep my soul and deliver me. Let me not be ashamed. In other words, don't let me mess up while they're watching and criticizing me anyway. For I put my trust in you. Let what, everybody? Say it with me. Integrity and uprightness preserve me. Notice how his enemies are bringing him in tight with God. This is the way criticisms can become your friend. Now watch this. Fourth. The criticism becomes a test to see if we will cleave to the Lord with all of our hearts. It tests the metal we're made of. Peter said in 1 Peter 1, verses 6 and 7, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been, read it with me, grieved by various critics. Let's just try that. Critics. You are grieved by various critics. Well, he says, why? Why has God allowed that? That the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it be tested by the fire of criticism, may be found, what? To praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Peter is saying, God allowed these trials into your life. He did. Why? So that your faith, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. When you get out on the other side, you get your breakthrough. Your faith has been found to bring praise and honor and glory 
to Jesus Christ. So God will allow trials, and God does allow those critics. I wish he would keep them away, but if he kept them away, we'd never grow. Amen? Now, fifth, unjust criticism forever etches the beauty of mercy on the soul of the person experiencing it. He will be purged of the tendency to quickly listen to an evil report about another. Did y'all catch that? If you are ever subjected to slander or to a really fierce critic just criticizing you, coming against you, trying to harm you, whatever it might be, just picking away at you, pecking away at you, it'll develop mercy in your life like nothing else. When you've been through the fire of criticism, when somebody comes up to you and says, have you heard about so-and-so, you want to say, stop right there. I don't want to hear that about somebody. Because I know what it's like to be talked about. And I'm not going to do it against somebody else. Amen? Second Corinthians 1, 3 to 4 are my favorite verses. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is our merciful Father and the source of all comfort. He comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others. Why does He comfort us? So that we can comfort others. When they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort God gave us. So God always ministers to you and to me with others in mind. So that you undergo criticism and you go through that fire and God brings you out on the other side and your faith has been to the glory of Jesus Christ, then you encounter somebody that's under the fire of criticism, under the gun, and mercy comes out of your heart. And you're able to say to them, listen, you're going to get out of this. You're going to come out of this and you're going to come out better for it. God is with you. He's not against you. He's going to heal you. He's going to deliver you in this situation and you're going to bring glory to Him. You're able to minister to them what He ministered to you. Now, sixth and finally, an increased anointing. And I want one of those. An increased anointing will result from enduring the fire of unjust accusations. 1 Peter 4, 14. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you. Read it with me, everybody. For the spirit of glory and of God is where? Rests upon you. When somebody criticizes you and you give it to God and you walk through it right, the spirit of God and of glory is resting on you and your anointing is going to increase. When you come out on the other side, there's going to be a stronger grace, stronger anointing, stronger power, stronger walk, stronger influence, stronger everything when you come out on the other side. Now quickly, let's look at very quickly how to respond even when it hurts. First thing you've got to do, believe me. Everybody say, Oh, y'all are going to sound good on radio. The most powerful weapon in the universe, you just wagged it. Your tongue. And when you are criticized, the first thing you've got to do is direct your tongue. 1 Peter 3, 9, not returning evil for evil. Boy, that's hard. I'm going to be the first to tell you, I have not gotten an A-plus in that. I'm a verbal guy. And I'm Texas guy. And when somebody comes against me falsely, I don't want to go, well, bless you. God bless you. 
the Lord is good. I want to whoop them. I want to slap them. I want to... I want Texas justice. Then I'll bless them. Bless you. I don't like that verse. How many of you know that doesn't come natural? Does that come natural to anybody in here? I want to meet you. Somebody says something wrong about you, criticizes you, slanders you, beats you down. I, I don't, I, I want to return evil for evil. That's my fleshly reaction. Come on, don't look so holy at me. I watch forensic files all the time. <laughs> I watch forensic files. I see what people do to other people that don't have the Spirit of God. Thank God for the Spirit of God. But here's what he said, not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, read it, blessing. Knowing what? That you were called to this. To what? A blessing. That you may inherit a what? Blessing. So even though it's hard sometimes to do this, when you do it, you're a candidate for a blessing. And you can do it. You can do it when you don't feel like it. Your tongue will say whatever you tell it to, no matter how you feel. Last time you got pulled over when you were speeding, you wanted to say something else to that cop, and you said, hello, officer, what did I do? Your tongue said what you told it to when you weren't feeling that way. You can say what you don't feel. Then you've got to direct your actions. What does it say in Matthew 5, 44? I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. Do good. That's actions. Do good to those who hate you. Just recently, true story, I had somebody, oh, I don't know, close to a year ago, that really uh, came against me viciously cruelly, meanly, uh, you know. I mean, I, I, fine, I, I went on, but it was very uh, distasteful, very, uh, it wasn't a pleasant experience. But I've learned something. Here's what I've learned. A, God heard it. Always remember that. God heard it. Two, you ask yourself the question, who'd that come from? Did that come from the spirit or did that come from the flesh? So I asked myself that question, and I didn't even need to really ask because I knew it came from the flesh. It was all flesh. It was totally fleshly. Then you give it to God, and here's what you wait for. There will be a time when that person is in pain, and that's when you step in. And this person recently ended up in pain. And I stepped in, and I blessed them. I had not spoken to them one word until they were in pain. I never responded. I gave it to God. But they were in pain, and they always will end up in pain. I stepped in. And you know what? When you step in, when they're in pain, there's nothing they can say. And what did the Bible say? You heap hot coals 
of conviction on their head. And you know what it does for you? It sets you free. That's free. You would spend hundreds in counseling to get that free tonight. But isn't that what Jesus said? Do good to those who do what? Look up there. Do good to who? Those who... Are y'all looking? Do good to who? Those who hate you. Well, the world is not going to teach you to do that. And pray for those who despitefully use you and persecute you. And then you've got to direct your spirit. You've got to take charge of your spirit. And then we're about to close here. Matthew 5, 11 and 12. Jesus again. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you. And say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad. Now what is that saying? Rejoice. What are you doing when you rejoice and you're exceedingly glad? You're taking charge of your spirit. Y'all are quiet tonight. Rejoicing is a spiritual exercise. He didn't say wait for rejoicing to, to get you in a headlock and make you rejoice. He said you rejoice when they criticize you. You direct your tongue. You direct your actions. You direct your spirit. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad. When you do that, you've got charge of your spirit. So instead of being filled with hate or anger or a grudge, you are rejoicing and glad in the Lord. And above all, and lastly, give your critics to God. He knows their name. He knows their number. He knows where they're living. And he's bigger than they are. Romans twelve nineteen says, Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. If you take revenge, you may end up in jail. I'm serious. You know why the Lord won't let us take vengeance? Because we would mess it up bad. So he says, you just hold back. I've got the corner on the vengeance market. It's not yours to take vengeance. It's yours to give your enemies to God. He says, leave that to the righteous anger of God. So God saw it. God heard it. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge, says the Lord. I will take revenge, says the Lord. I will pay them back, says the Lord. I will pay them back. Well, he's not paying them back fast enough. I know what you're thinking. The wheel of God's justice rolls very slowly, but roll it does. And when it reaches them, it ain't pretty. Critics surely come, but God gives us the victory over all of them. Can we stand together? How many of y'all needed that tonight? Did you? If, uh, if you didn't need it, you will. Go, go get the handout because you're going to go back to it someday. Say, now, what did he say that night? All right. Kind of makes that woman feel even more real, doesn't it? All right. Lord, thank you for giving us the victory over critics, over the sting of criticism, over bad spirits that come against us, over flesh, over demonic attack that seeks to intimidate us and drag us down and destroy our motivation, wound us and hurt us. Lord, thank you for giving us the wisdom to handle it. Help us, Lord, and never hold back out of fear of criticism or failure. In Jesus' name.
Amen. Let's sing before we go. Lead